Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Lisa H., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, December the 19th, 2017. This is the 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting. Today, we're reading from the big book. We're in Bill's story on page five, beginning on the second paragraph where it begins, gradually things got worse. We'll be reading through three paragraphs, ending in, and so I did, and commenting on all three paragraphs. Today's readers are Tenzin P. for the 12 Steps, Susan M. for the 12 Traditions, Monica T., Marie J., Leslie W., and our newcomer greeter is Russ M. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship, oh, excuse me, the reference numbers for yesterday, Monday, December 18th, 2017. The 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting number is 10,810. That's 10810. And the reference number for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time meeting is 10,812. That's 10812. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, Our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Tenzin P. to please read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. Tenzin P. checking in. Here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. One. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. 
9, made direct demands to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive eaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tinson P. I will now ask Susan M. to please read the 12 traditions. Good morning, I'm Susan M., recovered, never cured in Oklahoma. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting OA. Uh, Other groups are A. OA as a whole. <clears throat> Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive eater who still suffers. Tradition six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Tradition eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And Tradition 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thanks for your service, Lisa. Thank you, Susan M. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We're sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, Everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. 
And please, when you're sharing, um, don't use the speakerphone. Today, we resume our study of the big book. We're in Bill's story on page five, beginning with the second paragraph, gradually things got worse, reading through three paragraphs, ending in, and so I did. And we'll be commenting on all three paragraphs. And I'll ask Monica T. to please get us started. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T. I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Florida. Bill's story. Gradually, things got worse. The house was taken over by the mortgage holder. My mother-in-law died. My wife and father-in-law became ill. Then I got a promising business opportunity. Stocks were at the low point of 1932, and I had somehow formed a group to buy. I was to share generously in the profits. Then I went on a prodigious bender, and that chance vanished. I woke up. This had to stop. I saw I could not take so much as one drink. I was through forever. Before then, I had written lots of sweet promises, but my wife happily observed that this time I met business, and so I did. And I'm still Monica T., recovered compulsive overeater. So here we are in Bill's story, and the whole Bill's story here is the progression of his illness and how I can identify with my own progression of the illness in me. Gradually, things got worse. No, so before that, the paragraph before that, Bill, he's renewed his wife's hopes and there were, you know, some periods of sobriety. And now things are getting worse here. Not only is he not working, now they're, they've lost a house, his mother-in-law dies, and then he talks about a promising business opportunity and how he had, uh, you know, he was going to make a lot of money if this went through. But he went on a prodigious, which means huge, tremendous, and a bender is a spree or a binge, and that vanished. And the story behind that is that this happened in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and I hope you're timing me. I always forget my timer. Um, and there was a group of them, and uh, one night they're, you know, they're sitting around the table and a little bottle of of Applejack. New Jersey white lightning comes out. You know, this is the area of, of prohibition. And Bill says, no, no, thanks. Goes around a couple first time. The second time it goes around, he says, no, thanks. You know, he's doing good here. He's not drinking. And then the third time, you know, somebody said, well, you know, this is white light. This is Applejack. This is New Jersey. You are never going to chase this stuff again. And his little mind said, oh, my goodness, I'll never be able to have it again. And next thing you know, he's on a binge. And who long, how long that lasted. So then he goes, I woke up. This had to stop. So here, finally, we are seeing Bill realizing that he has a serious problem. And now he's desiring to stop. And he's seeing that he can't drink any alcohol at all. So that's it. I'm done. This is it. I'm, you know, after my binge in the evening, all right, this is it. I am never going to binge again. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up. I'm going to be good, and I'm not going to binge. Never again. It's going to be different. And, man, I mean it. I'm miserable. I don't want to be 230 pounds. And and what this is doing to me and how crazy it is, and it's getting worse and worse the longer, I, no, the older I'm getting. 
and I really meant business, and so I did. And so did he. But on my own, it didn't work, and I will pass with that. Thank you, Monica. And I'll now open the lines to those who'd like to share for approximately three minutes. Barbara. He. Marie Madam. This is Larry. Larry J. Marie J. Okay, I got Barbara E, Marie J, Matt M, Larry K. One or two more? Paula Amy K. I got Paula D, and I heard one other person. Paula G. Rowan M. Okay, hang on, Rowan. I'll get you. Okay. All right. So this is the lineup. I have Barbara E, Marie J, Matt M. Larry K, Paula D, Harlan G, and Roanne M, I believe. Okay, Barbara. Okay, thank you. Can you hear me, Okay. I can. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much for your service. I appreciate it, Lisa and Monica, for reading and sharing with us. I was desperate. I went from getting French pastries in the bakery to eating ho-hos. No disrespect to them, I ate a lot of them. From Godiva chocolate to drugstore boxes and bags of candy. From a 12-ounce bag of potato chips to Costco bags that served a multitude of people. I ate for luxury and then I ate for necessity. I kept saying I would stop. There were so many times that I thought I'd met my maker. I thought I'd met my low. Once I went to an outdoor garden party after the end of school at the gym teacher's um, house. We were sitting outside in those collapsible lawn chairs. And the chair, maybe it was defective, I don't think so, collapsed under me and the arms folded in. And the gym teacher, Bob, and the principal, Bill, had to pry the chair um, arms away from me. I thought that was it, but it wasn't. I went back to the food again. Then a doctor told me I was losing my eyesight. That was it. That was enough to stop me. He put me on steroids. He told me to lose weight. That was it. I was done and I went back to food again. I needed knee surgery. That was it. I was done, and I went back. Finally, finally, I was desperate enough to give up the food forever. I had to change schools, a school I was respected in. I loved, but I couldn't walk up and down the stairs. I was willing to do anything. I walked into OA. I was willing to finally give up my control. I would do anything. I was hopeless and willing. I was told to pick a food plan, to use the tools, to read the big book with someone who could be my mentor and my guide and do everything. And for some unknown reason, this was it. Last night, we went out for our 51st wedding anniversary. 20 of those 51 years, I was abstinent. I am so grateful for you. I am so grateful for OA. I'm so grateful for Vision for You because I get to read 
the big book every day with my brothers and sisters from around the world who are indeed from another mother, but we all share the same disease, compulsive overeating. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Barbara E. And Marie J., um, you're Hi, up. Thanks. Can you Mad hear me? Uh-huh. Can you hear me? Oh, great. Hi, this is Marie J., recovered in Colorado. And uh, I love the line, gradually things got worse. You know, life showed up for Bill. Life happened, and things got hard, and he got drunk. You know, where was his resolve? My resolve goes out the window when hard things start happening in my life, and I can't do this on self-will and self-reliance. And that's what I know today in recovery. These last few weeks have been really hard for me, and I've been busy, and I've got 21 people coming at the end of this week for the holidays, and work is busier than it should be during this time of year. Usually I have more time, and sponsors are relapsing. I'm getting more calls. I'm making more calls. There's just stuff going on, and I want to check out too. And it just feels hard, but I get up every day, and I do what I need to do to surrender my life to God. That's the answer. Spiritual connection, just for today. Stay connected. I write letters to God and I take and ask for direction and I connect in meditation and I make outreach calls and I take outreach calls and I take 10-step calls. And what I do is I don't drop my spiritual practice. The walls are crumbling around me with life showing up and everything's getting to be a little traumatic and family's coming and that's triggering everything. But I just don't stop my reliance on God. I stay connected and I surrender all the stuff, all the stuff that's getting in the way. I want to isolate because my disease is knocking on the door. It's just saying, come on, let's just isolate and take things out. You know, this time of year I want to save time. And so I want to skip all the things that take the time and the stuff that I can get away with not doing because they just don't seem essential right now and i got all this stuff going on. And... That's when relapse happens, though. That's, that's the start of relapse. It's not when I'm putting food in my mouth. It's before, in my mind, when I, don't, when I think I don't have to do the spiritual work. So every day I'm being of service. Every day I'm picking up the phone. Every day I'm reaching out, sponsoring. I'm getting on meetings. I'm taking calls. I'm making calls. I have to stay engaged with God and the fellowship even though I'm feeling really harried right now and the holidays are coming and family's here and whatever I give to God, as much as I can stay connected with God and surrender this, then I have all the time that I need and I have all the sanity that God can bring me. Thanks, I pass. Thank you, Marie J. And Matt M., you're up, followed by Larry K. Thank you, moderator, for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is Matt. I'm a compulsive eater from New Jersey. Gradually, things got worse. I don't know about you, but my life got worse and worse. I started to gain weight in exponential amounts, uh, you know, 200 pounds, 200 pounds, 250. After my family passed away, my mom, my grandmother died, then my mother died, and I started binging my brains out. This disease is a disease of isolation, and it's a disease of more. I've always wanted more and more food, just like Bill wanted more and more liquor. There was never enough food in the fridge. There was never enough food out there at the restaurants. And I swear I could put out all you can eat place out of business. The amount of food I was able to eat, my my vendors were very prodigious. You know, I even spent my rent money on um, 
binges and binges all the time, just spending it, spending it, spending it, just to get that food in my mouth with the blinds drawn, sticking like sticking like a zoo, not taking a shower for days on end, getting my legs getting infected in the folds of my legs, creases, wanting to open the hospital with infections. And um, I woke up, but I realized this had to be stopped. I saw I cannot take so much as one bite. I was through forever. I made a lot of small promise, sweet promises to myself, like, you can do this, or I can get this weight off any time I wanted to, which was a lie, because I tried diets before, and they never worked. And um, this time, then business, and so I did self-will. That's what Bill is, is experiencing, a lot of self-will, self-knowledge. Like, he knows there's a problem. He thinks he could fix it on his own without any help, which is which I thought was true for me, which is not the case. You know, and... Um, uh, I'm really grateful that I don't have to be in denial about this disease, that I do have it. I'm working toward the goal of getting recovered, and I wish that I had the more, um, the sweet promises have to stop with me. I just had to be honest, rigorously honest with myself and my sponsor. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Matt M. And Larry Kay, you're up, followed by Paula D. Good morning. <clears throat> Good morning. Thanks for your service. Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsible Reader from Chicago. You know, I want to talk a little bit about Bill's progression and um, and a little bit about delusion because that's that's part and parcel of this of this disease. This this uh, this addiction that we have is we're we're delusional, and Bill was. You know, what what is a delusion? You know, a delusion is is some sort of fixed, kind of relatively immutable. Uh, false belief that we have that really has no basis in reality and it's persistent it's viciously persistent and as bill progresses in his disease he's delusional see what's delusional about it the very same thing that's delusional about us if we're still stuck in this disease see we have another way out we keep having another bright idea that maybe we can gain some control when we know perhaps we know deep down in our heart of hearts, we, we have no control whatsoever. We're powerless. And yet the delusion persists. You know, we, in society, we, we often talk about deluded people, the, you know, the, the, the person on the, the talent show, the singer who's deluded about their lack of singing ability. You know, maybe that politician is deluded. as delusions of grandeur, possibly, you know. You have to be deluded to, to believe anything that a salesman will tell you. You know, delusion is very persistent. Here's the problem with the delusion, though. We will fight tooth and nail to prove that we're, we're not delusional. And I can prove it to you. How often do you have you been on a diet? I've been on hundreds upon hundreds of diets. Gone out and bought, bought the cabbage, you know, thrown out hundreds of dollars of uh, Nutrisystem, you know, uh, the pill, the this, the that, the uh, the exercise plan, all delusional for a compulsive overeater like me. And as the disease progresses, you know, we, we, we stick to that delusion. And, you know, to become awakened for me means to move beyond my ordinary delusional perceptions, which were once my guiding light, See, because I was sure that this false thinking was surely true. After all, if I thought it, it must be true. But when one becomes awakened, they become aware of the delusion. We're awakened to the truth. 
And But our, our spiritual awakening involves so much more than merely waking up from the dream, the delusional dream. There has to be actual enlightenment in the sense of apprehending. Bill had to apprehend a very painstaking truth about himself, these elusive truths about the world. You know, enlightenment in the context of our steps has another dimension. It signifies when our higher power comes into our life. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. And Paula D., you're up, followed by Harlan G. Good morning, and thank you very much for this opportunity. My name is Paula D. I am currently in Burr, New Hampshire, and I am recovered by and with the grace of God. As I read this, I think of Christmas past. Liquor ceased to be a luxury. You know, there were so many beautiful things about Christmas, so many gifts. But here it says, leakers and whatever holiday you share. And the thing about the holiday, if you take the I out, it was supposed to be holy day. But you see, I replaced it with the I. And then it became I. Liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. And that's it. There, the progression of the disease has been stated more than once. It became a necessity. It wasn't the beautiful things that brought holidays, you know, the certain foods that we looked forward to. And that's all I looked forward to. The certain foods, the certain the certain drinks, whatever it was. And then it goes on. And that's exactly what happened. The progression of disease. It goes on. But look at what he says. To waken very early in the morning, shaking violently. That's how we wake. To need another fix, yeah, before even breakfast. Nevertheless, and I love this, nevertheless, I still thought a sick mind healing a sick mind. It can't happen. It is truly a vicious circle. It said there, <laughs> I still thought, oh, I could control, and that was it. You want to talk about a delusion, you want to talk about an illusion, whatever you want to say. That thought of control, that I could control. Really, all these years, have you been able to? Well, no. Have you seen different? Well, no. But those couple of days, that week, maybe for some even a month, we've read the stories in the big book, renewed my wife's hope. You notice he doesn't say his Almost like he knew. But it does say here, gradually things got worse. Gradually things got worse. You know, in this, as I say, I can read this today. I can read all it says and know that I don't live there anymore. Waking up every day. Today, I am awakened, as it says in 569. I am awakened too. And as I read these words, they don't bring what they used to anymore. And I want to say thank you. Thank you for all that have brought that light into my life and the light itself. And I pray the same for you. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula D. And Harlan G., um, you're up, followed by Roanne M. 
Thank you, Lisa, and thank you to Team Tuesday for making this magnificent meeting possible. I'm so honored to be here. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. When I read this part of the book, when I read this part of the chapter, I'm reminded that a normal human being adjusts their behaviors to meet their goals. And an addict like me adjusts my goals downward to meet my declining behaviors. Monica talked beautifully about the Cherry Hill, New Jersey episode that Bill experienced. In 1932, as it says, stocks were at a low point, And Bill was on one of his diets. Now, when he says here that he controlled the situation, what he's doing is going on what we would know as a diet. He wasn't having a spiritual awakening. He had not had a spiritual experience yet. He was clamping down his unaided, inadequate willpower against the juggernaut of his alcoholism and how many of us have done diet after diet after diet after diet and his degradation, his defeat. This disease is a permanent state of being bludgeoned down and defeated. You see, if all the food did was make me fat, it wouldn't be as horrible of a nightmare as it is in that permanent state of defeat that I lived in my entire life. Every dream, when he says here, it renewed my wife's hope, every dream that I dreamed, I knew that I couldn't trust me. I wanted you to take care of me. I wanted to trust you because I knew you were strong, you were good, but I was going to eat again and destroy everything. I woke up. This had to be stopped. I saw I could not take as much as one drink. I was through forever. Before then, I had written lots of sweet promises, but my wife happily observed that this time I meant business, and so I did. Not for long. Not for long. Because alcoholism is an unrelenting illness that destroys us. The buildup of emotions will demand resolution. The mind will drive us irresistibly into the food, and the allergy will make it impossible to stop. What step are we studying in Bill's story? Step one. Step one. The buildup of these emotions drives me into the one thing I don't want to do. I do it and I can't stop. And pretty soon when we get to page eight, we're going to find out the solution to the problem. But right now we don't know the problem and we don't know the solution. Can I relate to this? You bet I can. And with that, I will pass. Thank you very much. Thank you, Harlan. And uh, Rowan. Um, you're up next. I just want to remind everybody where we are. We're on page five in Bill's story, <clears throat> beginning with the second full paragraph, gradually things got worse, reading through three paragraphs, ending in so I did, and commenting on all three paragraphs. Rowan M., you're up, followed by Amy G. Rowan, we can't hear you. Press star one. Harlan, are you unmuted? Um, is that Rowan? Yes. Can you can you hear me? I can hear you now, yes. 
Okay, hi. Sorry, my name is Rowan. I'm calling from New York. Very grateful to be on the line. And I know that people have touched on this, but I just want to reiterate that he is just completely in a state of delusion when he's talking about the gradual progression of his illness. I just, you know, the fact that Bill has this viewpoint is a bit delusional. It wasn't very gradual. Progression one was where his drinking was disturbing, start starting to disturb Lois, his wife. When I was in my disease, I was very up and down with my emotions, and I was definitely a tornado. And then the next part of his of Bill's progression was where he had this perspective, perception of feeling as though he had arrived, and drink was taking an important and exhilarating part of his life. And this was Bill being successful, and this was me being on a diet and being successful. And then progression three was where drinking assumed more serious and pro serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night. And this was me being obsessive with my diet and take in my where my diet was taking over every part of my life. And then finally, Bill found himself to be a lone wolf, and now he's at progression four, where drinking is a necessity for him to be in even survival mode. And this was me off of my diet and binging, unable to control the food any longer and isolating and hating myself. He saw that he could not take so much as one drink. I cannot take so much as one bite of certain foods. Anytime I try to, I am taking my will back and not living in step one. And I need to take step one every single day. And I think about this paragraph, I was through forever. Before then, I'd written lots of sweet promises. And my wife happily observed that this time I meant business. So many times I would wake up the next day at feeling remorseful, vowing never to do it again, like they talk about in the big book. And I would just do it over and over again because the food did something for me. And I would just, I would, I would hate myself every single day. And I just, this paragraph, these, these paragraphs, I just so relate to uh, the remorse, the horror of trying to get back on a diet and, you know, just how, you know, it just everything that I would do to myself, the abuse was just got to a point where it was just so painful that I just didn't, I felt a complete sense of hopelessness and isolation. And so I completely relate to Bill in this, in what he's saying right here. And thank you for letting me share with that all pass. Thank you, Rowan M. And Amy G. Are you? Good morning. My name's Amy G. I'm a recovered compulsively overeater from Maryland. Thank you so much for y'all's service. Um, Wow, you know, Harlan mentioned step one, and if we read step one in the uh, 12 and 12, it says, you know, we have warped our minds with such an obsession for destructive eating or drinking that only an act of providence, you know, a relationship with a higher power can relieve us of this insanity, and, and this is what we're seeing here, is this warped thinking. I mean, it wasn't an act of his mother-in-law dying, it's not an act of his father-in-law becoming ill, it's not an act of the losing of the job opportunity, you would think in a normal person, you know, those types of uh, top five stressors in our lives would make us stop being crazy with our, with our addictions, you know, with what we're doing. And yet Bill could not stay sober. 
And yet now he wakes up after these circumstances. But I don't know about you all, but circumstances didn't bring me into this program. It's the beating and the pummeling and the ravaging of my disease that brought me crawling on my hands and knees into these rooms. And what's even scarier for him is, you know, he thinks things are gradually getting worse. They're already worse. And you and I can see that he's already powerless, but he doesn't see that, just like I didn't see that. And he's not even going to draw a sober breath for another five years or be employed for five years. This is only the beginning of getting worse. And this is where we start to use our willpower. Like there were years of me using willpower. I woke up. I realized that binging and purging, I couldn't do that anymore. I realized that sugar, putting sugar into my mouth was going to make me keep eating and eating. And yet, what did I keep doing? I kept eating. I kept putting it, even though I knew it was killing me. I always wound up with an insane idea or no idea whatsoever, as we're going to find out in the next paragraph, where he's pounding on the bar going, how did I get here? How many times did I stand in front of the refrigerator with all my resources and all my knowledge that I shouldn't do it, and yet I still put that food into my mouth? Or I'd be five bites into a binge going, how the hell did I get here? What is Bill going to be coming up against? The mental obsession, that insane twist that says, oh, it doesn't matter. It's okay. I can go ahead and put that bite in my mouth, even though my willpower I think I have a willpower. I think I'm a pretty decent person. I think somehow I should be able to control this. He's only coming up against what that is, as did I. For years and for decades, the torture of the disease of knowing I shouldn't be doing and I still do it anyways. That's what's so warped about it is the mental obsession, the greater aspect of our disease. We can go on for decades like this trying to control it on our own. And unfortunately, the torture has only just begun because now he wants to stop and has to find out that he really can't. And that's the same for me. Oh, boy, thanks for timing me. I get all revved up. With that, I will pass. Thank you, Amy G. And um, now we'll open the lines again for others who'd like to share. Julie R. Janet Julie R. Julie R. Susan A. I got Julie R. Janice M. Melissa C. One or two more. Ginger C. Susan A. Ginger and Susan. What was Ginger C? Susan, what was the first initial of your last name? H. H. Okay. Sounds great. Did I you get Julie Janice A.M.? Oh. P.M.? Was it Janice M. and Janice A.M.? Janice P.M. And Janice AM. PM yeah. and AM. All right, oh. Janice, I'm going to put the I got Janice one. PM. All right. Okay. Well, we'll we'll see how far we get. Um Julie R, you're up followed by Janice PM, I think, the older one. <laughs> Hi. This is Julie R, recovered compulsive overeater. Um gradually things got worse. You know, so what does that mean? That means that my attempts to stay on a diet became less and less. I couldn't lose 70 pounds anymore on a diet because I couldn't last that long. I couldn't lose 50 pounds anymore because it got shorter and shorter to the point where I would start, of course, the diet on Monday because I had to binge on Sunday. And by Monday midday, I was face down in the food. So I wasn't even able to get a day that's how things got worse. 
And then, you know, I would go to bed and say, I can't believe I did this again. I'd wake up and my first thoughts were what I had eaten the night before. You know, that remorse, the shame, the horror, the guilt. And, you know, and each time I would uh, uh, go buy a new magazine, a new book, uh, a new uh, go and pay, you know, pay and way, I could see a flicker of hope in my husband's eyes. But that even got less and less because he knew without me going back to program or without being um, going to a structure and discipline that it wasn't going to last. And so even my husband lost the hope because as I was nearing 300 pounds, he just saw the hate in my life, the pain, everything around me. I just, I was eating, 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 and I couldn't stop. I mean, when I chose to eat instead of play with my children, was I a bad mother? No, I was just in the depths of my disease. So I would wake up and say, okay, Julie, you got to get your shit together. Let's try this again. And it never worked. And it was my husband and I were talking. Um, I bake a lot. I mean, I literally baked 2,000 cookies last weekend and the weekend before, and I was putting together about 100 gift bags. And he looked at me. He said, you know, Julie, I love to watch you bake and sing music instead of eating them and hiding them in your apron. I mean, what a gift where I, where I was to where I am today. And it's not just with the food because that is just one part of this. The dishonesties, the lies, the pain that I caused. And it's like, you know what? I'm a free woman today. Why am I a free woman? Because I surrendered and I knew what I was. And I got on my, I didn't get on my knees, but I, I asked my God to take away this because I can't do it anymore. And so now I get to wake up feeling, thank you, God. And I go to bed with, thank you, God. Food has no place in my life out, outside of nutrition and um, keeping my body strong. And, you know, this holiday season was one of the best binge times for me, right? Because I could eat because normal people were binging. But today it's like I weigh and measure all of my food all of the time and I'm free. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Julie R. And Janice M., you're up, followed by Melissa C. Well, thank you so much, um, Lisa. Um, my name is Janice P.M. It's P is for Patricia. Um, I'm a grateful, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. All right, what we see is like it was mentioned. You know, we're, we're, we're driving into step one, the meaning. You see, this is how it starts, you know. Um, before I, I surrendered my powerlessness, I thought, and it, remember I said I thought, because this is where, where the problem is. This is my thinking. Well, if things are bad, I should eat. The first paragraph, things were getting bad, calamities in my life. Well, if things are good, I'm going to eat. See, this is what it's showing me. And notice that I noticed that every time Bill has some money, 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 money is his success. This is what he equates it with. Now, now he sees he's getting profits. Mm. But the first step tells me I'm powerless over uh, my over food, certain foods, and my life 
be is becoming unmanageable. See, I didn't get that that second part because my life was supposedly going good. So I couldn't, I could see I'm a little powerless, a little powerless. There I go. That was my thinking. But unmanageable, and then I always add, by whom? By me. That's where life becomes unmanageable, by me. Not by you, not by the outside stuff, but by me in my head. So there's a battle going on here with uh, Bill, like it did in my mind. I'm struggling. My my mind, my the obsession is telling me certain things, but my, you know, the body says, mm-mm, Janice, you can't take that, you know, but the mind says, mm-mm, I can't leave it alone. Um, you know, and there's a battle. So there's war going on here. Um, and any time there's a battle between willpower, my willpower, and the obsession, <laughs> of the mind guess what who always wins is the obsession of the mind is stronger than my willpower and wins again every time it doesn't matter what my desire is and if you notice you know the applejack was going around and we say well you know I'm powerless I couldn't you know I, I well they didn't throw it in his mouth he picked it up so he picked it up so you know it's 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 can't blame anybody else. I'm the one that causes my disease. You say, well, I'm powerless. Well, you're the one that picked it. I'm the one that picked it up. It didn't fly off the shelf into my mouth. So there's another thing that I see here. Um, and, of course, um, like I said, I cannot think my way through all these times. It's impossible. I mean, he could have, but you can't. I couldn't because it's it's too strong and I'm no match for my disease. And with that, I'm going to pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice M. And Melissa C., you're, you're up, followed by Ginger C. Hi, it's Melissa C., recovered compulsive overeater in New York. Thank you for your service. Um, yeah, so, you know, so we're hearing about some tragedies occur in um, Bill's world. And what grants me here is, how completely selfish she is. That nowhere is he saying, um, my poor wife, you know, lost his mother, lost her mother, her dad is sick, she's sick. Um, you know, my heart like aches for her. Um, married to this man who's so selfish and I could relate to Bill here, you know, um, thinking just about himself. I would imagine that those tragedies occurring and those tough times were great reasons to drink. You know, just like for me, tough times were perfect reasons to be in the food. What else could you do? And then, um, but getting this business opportunity, getting things on the upswing, he's blowing it. He's still eating. You know, he's still drinking. I was still eating. When things took an upswing, um, I still was in the food. And then the what really separates, um, I think, the, the true compulsive overeater from the regular problem eater is these moments of waking up, you know, like I woke up, this had to be stopped. Um, For other people, this is a great thing. This is like, yeah, you're going to finally get it together um, and and put the food down and get on a diet and get your life together. And, you know, I know people in my life, um, they loved those moments. They were so hopeful when I would say, that's it. I'm doing it, you know, and January 1st was always, 
a great time for me to, to put the food down and say, that's it, I'm doing it. And, and their hope was renewed because normal people, that's, what, that's when it starts for them. But every time that I said that, that this time I'm waking up, this time I'm through, it was not starting for me. I was still believing that I could control this thing. And, you know, with January 1st right around the corner, we are going to see a lot of people who um, are going to be saying, yeah, I, I'm, that's it. I mean business this time. And um, someone had said, uh, oh, maybe last week that they can't wait for February because that's when you know, the true, the fact that um, just because I make that decision does not mean that I can abide by it. That's what separates um, me from just the problem eater. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. And Ginger C., you're up, followed by Susan M. Good morning, and thank you so much for your service. This is Ginger C., Recovered, Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. Well, I'm not in Colorado. I'm in South Florida, but I am from Colorado. And um, I'm having such tremendous gratitude in my heart this morning for gradually, this word, gradually things got worse. And, and yes, it's, it is a gradual. It starts out slow. I didn't even think I was a sugar addict. Years ago, my Evie had taken me to an OA meeting in California, and I was really laughing at it. I was like, OA, are you serious? We're alcoholics. What is this about? That's how oblivious I was to my disease. But, you know, um, it's very clear on <clears throat> page 30. It says, over any uh, considerable period, we get worse, never better. And thank God for this progression and thank God how things unfold because that's the pain of this eating disease that finally brought me to a surrendered place. I was so beaten. Liquor ceased to be a luxury. It was absolutely a necessity. I couldn't start my morning without lemon heads to get out of bed. And thank God again for that pain because until you surrender and until you are out of ideas, you're not going anywhere. You have to let go of the wheel. And that pain, that progression, that's what helps you to get to that place. And I was completely beaten and I was dying and I knew it. And then the miracle happened. This grace of God came, this window rolled down, and I accepted this help because somebody showed me that there was a way out, that there was a better life. And your life's passing you by. So I just pray for those that are struggling in this food. You know, this gift of desperation comes soon for you too because I'd hate for you to miss it, and it's happening right here, right now. And when I'm eating, I don't see it at all, and I cannot be doing what's most important, which is on page 77. I am supposed, my real purpose each and every day is to fit ourselves, fit myself, to be of maximum service to God and the people about me. And when I eat, I could care less about you or anyone around me. It's what I'm eating, where I'm getting it, and I'm consumed. And then because of this disease, it progresses, and I want to die, and I can't stop. And that's a really, really painful place. And I pray that I never have to go back to any type of experimentation thinking that food is ever any type of answer to these life problems. My problem was always ginger to begin with. It was never about the food or these other addictions. But, you know, the most incredible thing is that we do fit ourselves to be of maximum service, and you can 
have miracles happen that you never thought would happen. Because two and a half years ago, this is the place that brought me to my knees. I ran into my mom at a Marshall's and I fell apart. And the food took over me in a way that I didn't think food could take somebody. Time. And I was suicidal. And today, I've been with my mom now for the past two days, showing her love and kindness and patience and tolerance and having my heart open to her in a way that has never been open before. And I, I'm so grateful I didn't miss that. So I pass. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ginger C. And Susan M., uh, Susan H., you're up. If you'll take two minutes, we can hear from Janice A.M. as well. Okay, thanks. Uh, <clears throat> Susan H., a recovered compulsive overeater in Ohio. Gradually things got worse is what jumped out at me. Powerlessness related to step one is the theme here, but he honestly didn't see it. Bill was trying his finite will. His life is getting worse and worse, and even he seems confident that in his ability to steer things his way. My powerlessness was leaving the freezer burnt frozen stuff in the fridge at work, taking more than my share of the treats at work, and grazing constantly. The humiliation was awful. Uh, my obvious climbing weight felt so hopeless. Had to get my knee replaced. <laughs> I, I was—I had been going to meetings and learning about the program, and then trying to steer things my way for over a year and a half. My weight was back up to 250, and uh, I started listening to vision meetings, uh, where I saw some real recovery, and I started to hope. And the hope brought me to add my name. And I got called and I got a sponsor. And as a result of working the steps, my life is totally changed. I'm just so grateful to the vision meetings, to the program, and to my higher power. And I'll pass. Thank you, Susan H. And Janice A.M., you'll be our last chair this morning. Good morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I want to talk about this idea of delusional. And this is something I haven't thought about in a long time until just maybe a week or two ago. I, when I was 11, I was in fifth grade. I was already at 211 pounds. I knew that wasn't right. I mean, I've known it since preschool um, that I had a problem. But I was at a Halloween party. And we all had our snacks. I think we all got like two cupcakes and whatever else. And cake is my kryptonite. And for some, I don't know how, but I, you know, figured out the way from the cupcake plate to the trash can to the back door. So we all went out back. We played. I think we were bobbing for apples. And after my turn, you know, I was standing around just waiting while other people did it. And I thought, I can just go get another cupcake. People, they're not looking at me. They can't see me. They don't know what, you know, I can just sneak in, get another cupcake, throw the wrapper away and go back outside. Okay, the delusional part. I'm blind. How in the world did I know what people were looking at? How did I know whether people or not could see me? They weren't talking to me at the moment. I wasn't engaged with anyone. But how could I sit there and rationalize and say, I'm going to go do this, get this cupcake and get back outside. No one's going to know. I don't, I don't even think I thought, well, maybe they'll think I'm going to the bathroom because no one showed me where that was. <laughs> um, and, you know, now I'm mortified at that. And you know what I did when I bobbed for the apple? I put that in my pocket. And then I did the cupcake route at least four times. 
back in and out while other people were bobbing for apples. And then when I went home from that Halloween party, I pulled the apple out of my pocket and ate it. And so that was one of my first memories that I have brought back into mind about delusional, being delusional. And, you know, now that I can look back on that and say, holy crap, that's a bit mortifying. Um, and it, it just speaks to the powerlessness of my disease and how far I've come. Thank you so much for letting me share. And with that, I'll pass. Have a great day. Thank you, Janice A.M. Thank you to everyone who shared this morning. Thank you to Team Tuesday, Tenzin P., Susan M., Monica T., Marie J., and Leslie W. The share ID for today, Monday, December the 19th, the 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting, is 10,814. That's 10814. We'll now close with the reading from the Big Book on page 164 followed by the serenity prayer. Will. Marie J., please read uh, Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yes, thanks. This is Marie J., recovered in Colorado. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.